for so very long, it's been... Go on, George. Tell how it's gonna be. But in the end, the commission only said... We figured it 17 different ways. And every time we figured it, it was no good. Because no matter how we figured it... But no matter how you figure it out, I still don't get as much as anybody else. Somebody don't like the way we figured it. So now, there's only one way to figure it. And that is every man for himself. When Black Friday comes, this is the end. It's the end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. Or is it now? As a new year hits, through it all, Beaver Nation moves ahead with resiliency and hope. Sun's up. Mm -hmm. Looks okay. The world survives into another day. And the way forward goes through, as it must, The Joe Beaver Show with John Warren and Mike Parker. A number of times I heard these guys' voices over and over and over. Still can't find it. Ah, can't find it? We can help. This here is 1240. 1240. It's always been 1240. My client says it's 1240. Yeah. Plus 93.7 FM and streaming live at KEJOAM.com and on the KEJO app. It's the Joe Beaver Show. Yes, it is. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, and welcome to this uh, Wednesday edition of the program. I'm John Warren. Mike got caught by a train, so he'll be here any minute now as we set the stage for today's program. Of course, we always have the University Honda text line that is open. We have some to get to. In fact, I was looking over a few, and I'm going to play some audio sent to us that's pretty good. Dave from Tumwater is holding on the line. He's going to have to wait because we've got a scene setter to do. We've got a few things going on. But I'm going to play something that I'm sure Dave is well aware of, and it'll be fun to get Dave's reaction from this and maybe find out if there's more to the story now that uh, the day has gone by. So, Well, actually, the program hasn't been on yet. Anyway, I'll get to that in just a second. Greg Hansen. Formerly uh, writing here in the Mid-Valley for many years and been with the Arizona Republic for a long time. He'll join us at 1130 and we'll talk all Arizona sports, their thoughts about going to the Big 12 and, and everything Arizona. That comes up at 1130. And then at 12.05, who do we have at 12.05? Rod Gilmore. There we go. Rod Gilmore at 12.05. He will be the analyst on ESPN for the game on Saturday night at around 7.30. It'll be the first of back-to-back -back ESPN games coming up for Oregon State. Now, with Dave on the line, he can hold there for just a second. Mike's just getting settled in. You never know. It, it, Queen is shut down, so we're forced to go 34, and trains go by on 34 just as often as they do uh, on Queen. Now, I've got some audio to play that was sent to us by a listener on the University Honda text line, and it's from, uh, let me bring in your there microphone you here. Good morning, Doc. It's from, it's from sometime yesterday. Uh, check this out. I've been wrong in Arizona from day one. I, I, a, I'm stunned to beat Milwaukee. I thought they'd get swept by the Dodgers. I never thought they'd even go back to Philly for a game six. Uh, I'll try it one more time. I would not be stunned if they won tonight. I would be floored, floored. And I'll say this right now. Just uh, I'll say this right now. And Bob Raceman, write it down. If they win the next two days, they win the next two games and win this series in seven games, if they win, I will, I will retire on the spot. 
<laughs> is that Chris Russo? Yeah. Well, Dave, Dave's going to join us here in a moment from yeah. Tumwater. Yeah, that's he right. Send us, I mean, is Dave aware of this, that he's not well, going to be I, here he Russo has, anymore? It's over. But The career is over Who did it Russo. come from? Uh, I don't know who it came from, actually. Well, we'll talk. Oh, TJ. TJ. Oh, TJ found that. Yeah. Okay, so we'll talk to Tumwater in just a moment about the fact that one of his favorite people, a, a guy that he's called many times, a guy that he's developed a relationship over the phone with on a national level over the years is done. So he's retired on the spot. E- either he planned on retiring and just said that, or he has to come up with a, with an out. Yeah, so and, today's and reason, show yeah. will be the out. Well, no, he's done. I'll retire on the spot. So <laughs> well, he should open the mic and say, I'm Chris Russo. I'm done. Thanks for everything. Good luck in your life. He shouldn't have made that bet. Or yeah, it's ridiculous that to do that. Yeah. There's nothing ever. Nothing is sure. No. Nothing is guaranteed. No. So, We'll talk to Dave about what he expects from Russo and whether he expects to hear from him. I will retire on the spot. By the way, we've been talking earlier this week and a little bit last week. Are you watching? Right. I watched 90%. Good. All from the third inning on in thoroughly enjoyed. Okay. Excellent. I'm I'm disappointed that Russo, A, Russo's retired. B, the Phillies won't be in the World Series. (laughs) I am, but, but I am curious Dave's on already right now on the Downward Dog phone line. Brooks Hatch, I left a message for Brooks. I tried to call Brooks this morning. Brooks, if you're out there, you called about not sure what. You know, we've been talking about a lot of things here, conference realignment, conspiracy theories, etc. So, Brooks, if you are up, it would be a great way to start the show today in open phones before our distinguished guests, outstanding people in their field Greg Hansen, longtime columnist, wrote for the Democrat Herald, 78 to 80 thereabouts, if memory serves, then moved on to Tucson and has been an institution in Tucson for decades and still writing, still covering everything mm. Arizona Wildcats and that market. So he has a, a long-range, deep view of life here in the Mid-Valley, back when Beaver football was utterly miserable, an 0-11 season that he covered in 1980. And so, you know, Greg Hansen has kind of seen it all from a lot of different perspectives. I look forward to visiting with Greg about many things, yeah. including Saturday night's game. Sure. Rod Gilmore on Saturday night's game. But even with Rod, he's weighed in as all commentators have, and particularly those that have having a history with our league. Rod Gilmore, outstanding DB at Stanford for three years. Beat the Beavers three times with a combined score of 127 to 22 or whatever uh, those in those three years. years. Exactly. Same kind of Greg Hansen, yeah. Rod Gilmore. But Gilmore loves our conference, has weighed in on it in a number of uh, platforms. So we'll get Rod's thoughts about the long-term sustainability of his alma mater going to the ACC. You, you, know, you know what's interesting is that there are properties that we haven't really heard much from. We haven't heard from Cal or Stanford or Arizona or Arizona State on as far as quotes and newspaper articles about what they think about what's been happening and where they're going. So we'll do that today yeah. with Greg Hansen at 11.30, Rod Gilmore at 12.05. How about this, though, to get started? Yeah. Two guys who also have a well-seasoned perspective on many things. Dave from Tumwater up first, Brooks Hatch on deck. They can talk about baseball. They can talk about Chris Russo. They can talk about Greg Hansen. They can talk about realignment. They can talk about conspiracy theories 
they can talk about just about anything. <laughs> I was uh, listening to a documentary on Oppenheimer recently, pretty fascinated after seeing the film and reading much of the book about the American Prometheus. And Leslie Groves, the general who oversaw the whole Manhattan Project, loved baseball. And that's why the f- film Fat Man and Little Boy, the Brayman. one thing it gets right, I mean, it's good, mm-hmm. Paul Newman watching the, the fellows during a break playing baseball, the physicists and other staffers playing baseball during a little bit of a break and Newman watching intently. That's, that's doing good research because he liked baseball. Yeah. When asked about Oppenheimer, uh, General Grove said, he's a genius. He can talk to you about anything. And then he starts reeling off subjects. He can talk to you about poetry. He can talk to you about history. Mm. He can talk to you about music. He can talk to you about architecture, about physics, obviously. Well, let me take that back. He doesn't know anything about sports. <laughs> so so Oppenheimer stopped short uh, uh, when it came to sports. But our next two callers could, I think, take on all the subjects I just reeled off, including sports. So greater than Oppenheimer's are here <laughs> as we get rolling today with Dave and Brooks and open phones and texts along the way and special guests coming. Let's go to Dave first and Tumwater. Dave, are you ready to bid farewell to Russo today? Uh, that would be devastating. That would be a personal loss. Yes. Uh, and I don't think it's going to happen. I was aware <laughs> of that bet when the uh, Diamondbacks taunted him in their postgame celebration last night. Did they? He's, um, he's the Bionist, uh, and Stephen A. Smith roasted him royally mm-hmm. on uh, first take this morning. So what I think he's <laughs> going to do, I think he's going to pony up and write a big check uh, to uh, some charity uh, in Arizona, maybe Good. Northern Arizona University, since his son is the uh, assistant basketball coach there. But that that just shows you how the wages, I'm, I'm paraphrasing yeah. that, Mike, I know you'll get it. This is where the wages of overstatement mm-hmm. can be professional death. Yep, yep, <laughs> no doubt. Um, but what I wanted to, uh, and, uh, but I wanted to call just I want to begin and then end with a couple of follow-ups from yesterday's magnificent show you guys had. It was one of your top ten shows of all time. But I want to start with the caller. I think his name is Greg, who called from Seattle, who had fi- what he provided by way of listening in on to a conversation of referees yes. who were going to a game. That is an implicit bias, gentlemen. That is explicit bias. And that's exactly what all of us fans sense intuitively mm-hmm. with regarding what's at play. But I want to diverge now quickly to Drake Toll. Yes. Uh, so it doesn't seem like you've been able to make a connection. No. With but I want to. But I want to give a report for all of the Joe Beaver Show listeners. Sure. His latest. His latest theory is that the the ACC not wanting to suffer the same fate as the Pac-12 is lining up more schools so that when inevitably Florida State, Clemson, probably UNC, and Miami, and maybe Duke all leave, they have enough teams to fit up to their 14-school threshold that they need in order to make the contract with ESPN last for its duration. So they've already got the angle out for uh, West Virginia, who doesn't like the westward tilt of the Big 12 mm-hmm. with the four-corner schools coming in, let alone the courtship of Oregon State and Washington State, and TCU, which is the next after Oklahoma and Texas leave, 
is probably the next biggest football school in the Big 12, SMU needing a playmate because um, everyone else in that conference has. And so the, it's beginning to dawn in Big 12 country, guys, that the Utah Brigham Young factor is really going to, is going to create a tremendous westward tilt the football prominence of that conference. And if you think about it, the, the, the two best schools far and away in that conference now are Texas and Oklahoma, but they're out the door mm-hmm. after this season. Mm-hmm. The rest of that conference is a mishmash of mediocrity. Your mark needs more big-name, quote-unquote, football presence in that conference, all the more reason why I think Oregon State and Washington State uh, end up there. Um, and by the way, a told segment on this morning's show was titled, If WSU and OSU don't go Big 12 or ACC, the college football playoff is doomed. That might be proverbial overstatement. But I just want to end on this point. But you had a great interview with Alan Sayer, but, it, but the conversation provoked me to actually go read some of the filings in that uh, mm-hmm. lawsuit over in Whitman County. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but I can read text. Text That's what I do, both advocationally with the big book and also with more pedestrian literature. I think the uh, there's a good the The PAC-2's case, I would like it to read as if it's ironclad. Mm-hmm. I don't interpret it as ironclad. And, it, you know, you asked Alan to make a prediction, and he's, He's giving you a preponderance of perspective. I'm now wanting there to be a, a settlement and mediation before it goes to trial for the preliminary injunction on November 14th, because I think the sovereign immunity clause and some of the other complications make that a little more plausible for the Traders 10 okay. and the conference that I, that I would have felt comfortable otherwise. But I got to get ready to get on a podcast, uh, uh, so I won't be listening for the rest of the show okay. until, uh, uh, but I wanted to get in early. I'll yield to Brooks Hatch at this point. Thanks for taking my call. <laughs> hey, Dave, thanks for calling in. Let, let us know what how Russo resolves is. I will retire on the spot dilemma. I don't think he wants to give up his paycheck and contract and his platform quite yet, even though the Diamondbacks won both games at Citizens Bank Ballpark, and he said he would retire if that happened. So tell us, Please give us a call tomorrow and tell us how that came out. Very well. Take care, guys. Thank you, Dave. Let's go to our friend uh, who, like our guest coming up at 1130, uh, Greg Hansen. Brooks Hatch has seen so much of the arc and history of Oregon State Athletics. I'm not sure, Brooks, what you called about yesterday, but we're sorry we missed you. Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. you got plenty of time. Please share your thoughts with us. Yeah, I was just calling yesterday with all that talk about the officiating and stuff. That I remember it, it seemed to me during the Mike Leach era that Washington State threw about eight thousand straight passes against us without a holding penalty, <laughs> which was uh, which was just uh, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And there was a game at Reeser, might have been two thousand eighteen. Uh, when Washington State beat us like 49-41. Yes. Some, I mean, some crazy score. Yes. And I think we had five or six holding penalties in that game, and Washington State did not have one. There was one on Timmy Hernandez, I remember, that wiped out a, a touchdown. Mm-hmm. There was, uh, and, and it's just, it's like, 
and I don't know if it's if it's it's intentional bias or if people just well Washington State they throw the ball so fast and all that that they don't have to hold and stuff. But you cannot throw the ball 55 or 60 times in a football game without an offensive lineman holding. It's, yeah. it's impossible. Well, and, so. and that even fits the doctrine, even even before a leech air raid style, the, the old doctrine, there's a reason that it's almost proverbial, even if we say, well, it's not exactly true. But, Brooks, haven't we all heard our entire lives, you could call holding on every play if you want to. Right. right. <laughs> yes, and, and you can see it. And, and again, I'm not saying, you know, I don't think officials are intentionally, at that level, they're not intentionally biased, but... I, I know it's a Fiesta Bowl. I mean, the minute I heard that they were Big East Conference referees, we were in trouble because, you know, they were the same guys that refereed Dennis when he was at Miami. Mm-hmm. And and I know that Mike Riley, when he came, Mike Mike's teams paid for Dennis's perceived, I'm not going to say actual, but perceived, uh, you know, hot dogging and all that stuff. Mike's teams paid for it for two or three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the game up at, that you guys talked about a couple of weeks ago up at Washington State where Mike Haas yeah. got the uh, – yeah. and I was in the press box when Hal erupted at Burl Thornton. <laughs> that, was, that was a classic moment. But, uh, you know, that referee that day, it was uh, Glasses Ref. What, what was his name? Um, oh, I, yeah, I know when you say that. You know who I mean. Yes, you I know do. Who I mean. We'll just leave it at and that, but I do know who you mean. Who, yes. who, who called – and his crew called more penalties than any crew's and and then they get to do bowl games and national championship games, and, and they were really good referees, and they wouldn't call any penalties. <laughs> and I'm going, you know, the stuff that they called all year in the Pac-12, they'd get to a bowl game, and, and you know, they knew that the perception was mm-hmm. that Pac-12 referees called a lot of penalties. Mm-hmm. So I think they, at bowl games, they intentionally did not call a lot of penalties. You remember oh. uh, the Bud Weathers column that Bill Doble always had in his back pocket? We used to talk about that back when Bill <laughs> in the mid-2000s. Bill would have, and I, I said, at the drop of a hat, he, for a couple of years, Bud Weathers wrote a column breaking down the disparity between right, penalties yes. called. Remember that? So Bud, yeah, when, when Bud was in Seattle. Yes. He, after he had left the guard. Exactly. Yes, I do remember that. The Seattle P.I., Bud broke it all down, and here are the number of penalties called by Pac in Pac-12 games, Pac-10 games, yeah. compared to the penalties called in all these other conferences. And Bill Doba, for a couple of years, almost any conversation you have with Bill, Bill, how you doing today? I'm fine. Have you seen the Bud Weathers column on, <laughs> on Pac-10 officiating? He would pull it out anywhere, anytime, and show you, because he, at Washington State, and, and I'll say this for Mike Leach, too, wasn't Leach the ultimate victim of, of maybe something, shenanigans going on when the call was made about, ah, that's not targeting when a Washington State receiver had been targeted and the targeting call was picked up or overturned. So, I mean, it works both ways sometimes. I mean, it works all ways yeah. in this conference. You know, and, and you talked about the uh, yesterday the, the Larry Farina call on Evanson Bernard. I mean, Larry Farina was the crew chief that year when Evanson, yeah. you know, was like lying flat on the ground, put the ball down, and, and then yeah. what? But, you know, so, yeah, Washington benefited there. But next year... When Washington's playing BYU up in Seattle, Jake Locker scores a touchdown with, I don't know, what, 10 seconds left or whatever, and kind of, you know, throws the, you know, he's happy, kind mm-hmm. of like throws the ball up in the air, mm-hmm. and he gets called for a 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. So Washington had to try to kick like, you know, a 35-yard extra point. Yeah. And the guy and the guy missed him. I mean, my point is, yeah, Larry Farina helped you last year, <laughs> but this year he hurt you. It's like... 
Yeah. It's like you, you never benefit from bad officiating because at some point, yes. I mean, Angel Hernandez makes as many bad calls right. against you as he does for you. Yeah. That's a great so, point. Anyhow. Hey, Brooks, before you go, before you go, uh-huh. just as we're going to talk to Greg here in a few minutes and Rod Gilmore later, these are longtime people around our league and our conference, as you have been. Do you, as you follow and read and listen, do you have a sense, do you have a hope about where this is all going for Oregon State? You know, I, I, I don't. I keep hearing, too, and, and I, I will say this. My wife is a, is a graduate of a Mountain West university. Mm-hmm. She went to the University of Wyoming. I've been to football games at Wyoming, and I can tell you, know, they have bands, they have cheerleaders, yeah. they, they have fans. So if, if it comes down that we have to do this reverse merger with the Mountain West, mm-hmm. will it be as good as the Pac-12? No, I'm not going to say that. Right. But I don't think it'll be the end of football at Oregon State and Washington State, as so many people think that. Mm-hmm. 80 people are going to immediately go into the transfer portal. I mean, it's going to, a conference is supposed to be regional universities with like common academic and mm-hmm. profiles. Mm-hmm. And, and that, to, that to me is what, if we have to go, if we do this reverse merger with the Mountain West, there, there's really not all that much difference. I mean, we're a little bit bigger, but then Wyoming, Utah State, Boise State, and all that, but it's pretty common universities. I mean, small Western state public universities. And a lot of them are land grant. And I I like the fact, I like the fact that if you have to go somewhere, a plane, every mountain West school is available, is is accessible with one plane ride and maybe an hour bus ride. Brooks, let me ask you this then. If, if, if it does, you know, all this talk, we just heard Dave about the big 12 and the ACC and you know, what, Whatever else, who knows exactly how this is going to play out. I really don't. I'm not sure anybody knows exactly how it's going to play out right now. But would you say then, if that happens, and you do, in a sense, drop a little bit in stature and status, do you, do, do you pour in everything that you possibly can to do what Chris Peterson did in the mid-2000s at Boise State and rattle the BCS and get into BCS type games. I know we don't have that per se. I'm I'm just saying, you you maintain if you get assets from the Pac two twelve whatever, and you have some money to maintain and operate at a at a higher budgetary level, even than some of your peers in the league for a while. Do you keep and sell like crazy to your recruits and families? Look, you're not going to be going to Rutgers. You're not going to be. We have a a, reg, a, a regional geographical uh, plan with integrity that's easy for families and loved ones and people. You know. Do you sell it like crazy like that and try to become, in a sense, the the Boise State that Chris Peterson had rolling in the mid-2000s and still be a national, uh, be a relevant national-type power? Oh, yes. You, ha- you have to, I mean, you have to sell that. You have to sell it. It's us against the world. And, and you know, what's the one thing that we can offer that, Oregon or whatever mm-hmm. can't is that regional competition that you can, it's best for your studies. It's best mm-hmm. for your health. Mm-hmm. It's best for your family. But now and I, I seriously think, I mean, you will never hear these guys say it, but in, in at the 2028 or something, big 10 meetings after these ADs and presidents, you know, have had mm-hmm. a couple beers or a couple drinks that the, you know, the, the West coast guys, maybe they'll just be hanging out together. And I, they will never admit it, but they are going to look at each other and go, 
what the hell were we thinking? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I really think yeah. that's going to be true. Brooks, and not because yeah. of football, right. but because of all the other yeah. stuff. That's uh, great right. points. It's good. To, hey, we got to okay. get Mike in real quick yep. and then Greg Hansen. Good to hear from you. Mike in Salem, we got to be a little quick. You can call us later with more time. We do have Greg Hansen around the corner, but what's on your mind, Mike? Well, I just wanted to, to say a couple things, and I guess I'll, if it's a quick call, I'll just pare it down to something. I had not called the show this year because it's such a civil and civilized beacon of intelligent sports talk, and with what had been going on, I didn't trust myself to keep a civil tongue in my head. <laughs> and I've never heard anyone curse on this show, and oh my gosh, I would if I was the first, and I just didn't want to do that. But here's something I wanted to say. To, the, to you guys and to Joe Radio, and I always think of it in, in the middle of August when the show is not on, and then once the, the show starts, it's, it's, of course, all football. But I just want to thank Joe Radio for putting the nights on, because I tell you, that is such a terrific listen on, on, on a summer evening, and because, you know, you hear Mike, Mike you hear you talk, calling the games, and We've heard John call the games, and as you know, every game, whether it's an early season out of conference game, there's that tension of how we're doing because the the, the goals are so lofty with the mm-hmm. Beavers. Mm-hmm. Not that they aren't with the Knights and their success, but you know, as far as just a relaxed moment in the summer to hear, you know, even just a you know two or three innings of the game, those are terrific broadcasts. I don't know. If, I, I assume since you guys keep them on, they must make some money for the pro. For the, uh, mm-hmm. for the for the station, but sure. they're a terrific thing, and I, I, I encourage you to keep them on. That, so I would I'd say that, and I would say just one other quick yes. thing about the official conversations. You know, I when I when I see these things, I think that the really at the bottom of it is it is a human nature element that mm-hmm. we all have. Mm-hmm. The coaches and 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 the officials they see what they expect to see. And I think that all when you look at how subjective so many things are in so many sports, holding calls mm-hmm. and pass interference, when you have in the, in the case of the Washington game is just typical. They go into the game, no matter how much they want to be impartial, they expect Washington to win. Mm-hmm. And when you have a home game like that, those calls get shaded by that all the time. It's what they, yeah. they don't expect to see it. I think back to that call that, uh, that play last year against USC. Mm-hmm. If that had been an average quarterback, they would have said he was stopped. But those mm-hmm. those referees, they thought, oh, he's going to keep going. He's Caleb Williams, and he's going to get that first down. And by God, they did. Yeah. But that's something that happens, and it's not a conspiracy. It's just yeah. what human beings do. They see what they expect to see. Mike, well, now that yep. you've called, I hope, and you maintained a civil tongue, certainly, please call it. We've <laughs> missed you. We've missed hearing your contributions. I hope you'll call us again, and thank you for what you said about summer baseball on the radio. Yes. It's a pleasure to be involved with. I hope we can do it again next year. One never knows anything. Uh, no, but we have a very good but, relationship but it's with a, the Knights. Yeah, we're looking forward to it again. Thank you for your call, I Mike, don't and don't be a stranger to us. We've missed you. Thank you. you. Okay. It's Mike in Salem. Greg Hansen is on deck. Thanks for joining us today on the Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. We continue on the Joe Beaver Show. We comprised of Mike Parker and John Warren, and our thanks to TJ for providing the Chris Russo. I will retire on the spot soundbite. That was if- good. Arizona wins both games in Philly, so we may be bidding farewell to one of the great national voices in sports talk radio, Mad Dog. 
Russo may he'll, be done. He'll come up with something. Okay. There's no way he's leaving. <laughs> it's just it's, it's funny. Dumb, it's great it's theater to do it, but it's great yeah. theater. But the thing is, is that guys like that. One of the things that is unique about their shows is the drama. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. We look forward to a report from Dave from Tumwater about what Russo how how he deals with the. I will retire on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now we're not in the Valley of the Sun per se. That's up the road a ways from where our next guest hails, Tucson, but the World Series is coming to our next guest state. I'd be curious to know if they care in Tucson about the Diamondbacks. There's so many things to talk about here now, so many, more than ever in a sense, with uh, a friend of the show through the years and a great friend to our conference in its various machinations (laughs) through the years, the columnist, longtime columnist, Arizona Daily Star, columnist at the Albany Democrat Herald, 78 to 81, so he knows our territory and our world. Greg Hansen joins us. Greg, thanks for the time today. How are you, and are you into the Diamondbacks? Are Tucsonans into the Diamondbacks? Oh, wow. Nice to hear from you, Mike. Thank uh, you. I remember vividly every moment of the 2001 World Series of Game 7 when the Diamondbacks beat the Yankees. It's uh, about... Eight years after that, the Diamondbacks abandoned Tucson. They left their spring training here, and um, they uh, built their own facility in Scottsdale. So there's kind of been, a, and then their AAA team left Tucson. So there's been mm-hmm. kind of a falling out. Okay, but do do people still make the trek up the road some to go to some major league ball games, or do you get oh, that yeah. feel? Okay. Will uh, you? Will I mean, you, every time the Yankees are there, I go. Okay. Will you cover? <laughs> I, Will you cover the World Series for the Arizona Daily Star in any way, shape, or form? Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> they no. won 84 games. That's got to be the lowest ever by a World Series team, I would think. I, I, I will take you back to an era you, you will know, not all well. My, my partner here was only eight, John, I think, in yeah. 1973. Yeah. But I think Rusty Stobbs' New York Mets in 73, managed by Yogi Berra, Greg, I think only won 83 games in the uh, 1973 National League season. The old professor could say you could look it up, but it was either 82 or 83. Hmm. And I remember uh, almost every game of that World Series. Yeah, too. I do too. We, I don't. We remember way too many things, I think, Greg, but... Is it, <laughs> Since you're joining us on the show out of Tucson and the Beavers are coming, before we even uh, get into some of your long and seasoned time within our conference, what do you make of this matchup Saturday night? What's happening in Corvallis with Jonathan Smith, what Jed Fish and Johnny Nansen and Chuck Cecil and company have going? I mean, this game suddenly looks like uh, a pretty high threat level for the 11th-ranked Beavers. How do you see the matchup? Arizona is suddenly... I don't know whether to use the word decent or good, but it's somewhere between there. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, two years ago, one and 11, and now they are tough. I mean, it's one of the better rebuilding jobs I've ever seen in the league. And uh, they're not soft. They, well, you know how tough Washington State is this year. Sure. Uh, and Arizona just pounded them, which I found hard to believe. But, I think it'll be a tough game, given that they're both defense first, basically. Greg, going through the the the, the coaches and just this short amount of time where things just dropped off, and then it didn't work out. With Kevin Sumlin, and then Jed Fish comes in. When he came in, did you did you think that he would be able to maybe not turn it around this fast? But did you think he would be the right fit? 
I thought he was the wrong fit. And I thought most people did because he wasn't your conventional, you know, hire a guy to rebuild coach. He was completely the opposite. He was a job hopper. He'd had like 14 jobs in 20 years, but he went, went to all the big stops. He, he went to Bill Belichick. He went to Jim Harbaugh. He went to Brian Billick. He went to the Rams and I went to the Super Bowl. Um, I didn't pay enough attention to the excellence he surrounded himself with, starting with Steve Spurrier at Florida State. And he is a, he absorbs everything. He, he's got a memory like nobody else. He is uh, a workaholic. He isn't afraid to surround himself with skilled assistants. Um, he was everything Arizona needed that I didn't know at the time. Hmm. Greg Hansen joining us. Greg, the last time the Wildcats and Beavers played was at Arizona Stadium. And, and part of the reason, I, I always appreciate your perspective, but just looking back over my notes and depth charts, I quote you at length about Kevin Sumlin and what was going on then. And Chuck Cecil oh, yeah. comes on the scene. That was a pretty low time. The Beavers put up 56 down there. Chuck Cecil, when you talk about they're tough, I know Johnny Nansen's the coordinator, mm-hmm. but has Chuck had some impact on the toughness on the defensive side of the ball? He is the uh, toughest player I've ever seen in college football. Um, I don't know if you remember, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated like 30 years ago, and it said, is Chuck Cecil too tough for the NFL? <laughs> he weighed 175 pounds. Right. He would have he had a million targeting calls every season. <laughs> But his, that's what he is. And then um, Fish wasn't afraid to go get Dwayne Aquina, who I think may be mm-hmm. one of the top two or three assistant coaches in Pac-12 history uh, uh, at Stanford and at Arizona. And then he went to Texas when Texas won the national title. And Aquina's just, I mean, he's, he's at the top. And Cecil's right with him. And uh, then he hired Ricky Hunley to be the defensive line coach, and he probably the best player in Arizona history, college football Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly they had a sense of toughness that they hadn't had since uh, almost 20 years earlier when, when Dick Tony coached. And it's really paid off. You know, and on offense, Fish went and got uh, Pete Carroll's son away from the Seattle Seahawks, mm-hmm. which I still find amazing. Mm-hmm. that he was able to get Brandon Carroll, and not only that, to keep him. And it's obvious that Brandon Carroll is, a top-level assistant coach. And that's probably why Arizona is where it is in the reconstruction uh, model because they have quality assistants everywhere. Greg Hansen, Arizona Daily Star, since 1981, joining us on the Joe Beaver Show. And the offense is humming. And we we start with defense, which is rather amazing given Arizona's recent history, but all those coaches you mentioned, the way the players are playing – 44-6 44-6 over Arizona, uh, Washington State in Pullman catches everyone's attention. Eye-popping numbers from this kid, Noah Fafita, in that game and in other games. What's happening on the Noah Fafita front? He reminds me a little bit, I mean, on a lesser scale, of, of what Brock Purdy's doing with the 49ers. He's just a guy who doesn't make mistakes, a guy who is calm. Um, he doesn't. When he came in, when, when Delora got injured at uh, Stanford, I thought that was it. This is going to be a 3-9 and 12, nine season. Fafita came in with a sense of calm, and it's never changed. He's an extremely accurate passer. Um, he's, he's just not a mistake maker. 
and he's got excellent running backs and excellent receivers. And it's just, I don't know if anyone could have predicted it because if you look at Noah Fafita, he's listed, I think they list him at 5'11", but I've stood next to him. He, he's more like 5'8". Mm-hmm. And he just so far has been so much better than you could have expected. And now I, I think people would be disappointed if he lost his job because the Lord is ready to play. And um, I, I would bet 99.9% Sophia starts on Saturday, but the Lord is good too. Yeah. Um I'm five eight, so let's not say that's a bad thing. <laughs> so so was W C Field. Yeah, before. right. Anyway, so you, yeah. you, you touched on my question. Delora uh, Fafita. Uh is Delora available? Let's just ask it that way. No, they won't say, but he but he he warmed up in uniform before the last game. And that was two weeks ago, so and it wasn't a major injury, it was an ankle sprain. So I would say he, I would say he's 100%. Greg, transitioning a little bit since you talked about quarterbacks of smaller stature who do great things, Noah's in the process of it. There's a guy at Oregon State now, the head coach, who fits that description as a quarterback in those the great day, the season of 2000, the 11-1 year. uh, You covered a team in 1980 that wasn't quite as good, that went 0-11. And so I'm just wondering, when you think about that those facts, 0-11, and 11-1, Fiesta Bowl, and then what Jonathan has, what he's been building at Oregon State, from your view of some knowledge of what it takes here, and just what you see in Smith and the Beavers, just what are your thoughts about all of that? Well, I really like and always have had positive vibes from the Beavers because of living there and seeing what the bottom looked like and seeing where they are now, you know, it's kind of hard to process. I think they won my last three years there. They, they went, uh, 0 and 11, one and 10, and one and 10. Mm-hmm. And one of the wins in a one and 10 season, I'll never forget it. They were playing John Elway and Stanford at uh research stadium. I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but it was going to be a 31, 31 tie with about a minute to go. And the Beavers had tied it and they kicked off in the Stanford kickoff returner, caught the ball in the one and back up and down it in the end zone for a safety. And that was that was OSU's only win, I believe, for almost three years. <laughs> and it was amazing. There were probably 6,000 people in the stadium. <laughs> and to see what they're doing now, watching them on TV, is exciting because that's got to be who has, well, maybe Utah has a better game day vibe in the, in the league, but maybe Utah's no better, maybe they're just equal to what Oregon State has now. I, I was the night Oregon State clinched its first bowl game since I believe the Rose Bowl in the mid sixties. Mm-hmm. I believe it was ninety nine. I was there because they were playing Arizona, and they won. And I remember it was a night game. We couldn't get out of the parking lot for more. I'm not exaggerating. More than two hours. Mm-hmm. So like one a.m. <laughs> it was such a the party went on all night. That, that was fun to be be there and see that too. So I have great memories of how bad Oregon State was and how when they started to get good again. So having seen that and lived through it and then watched from afar Oregon State build up its infrastructure and and get the wins yeah. and whatnot, I imagine Greg that that would be 
you could share that with your your Tucson readers as another perspective. If if you know whenever Oregon State and Arizona were going to clash, especially if we were going there, you could write some pre pregame stuff articles on hey mm-hmm. the, this program was as bad as it could get and now look at how far it's come that it must have provided you with some material oh yeah a ton you know as funny as it may sound the first game arizona ever played in the pac 10 in 1978 was against oregon state and it was in tucson and i i was there covering it for the beavers and uh, I remember thinking, man, you can't win a game in the Pac-10. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can beat Arizona because they're just coming into the Pac-10, but Arizona beat Oregon State that night in the first game they ever played in the league, and that's when I realized how bad Oregon State was at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sure nice to see things change. Greg, what did you – there was talk then – you know, this whole conference realignment, we move into that before we turn you loose. There's so many things, and we appreciate your time and perspective. But do you remember the rhetoric in your time? Was it heated at all? I would see columns from Terry Fry and others along the way mm-hmm. that neither Oregon or Oregon State, particularly the latter. I mean, there were arguments. Yeah. But, but for both, they don't belong in the Pac-8 or the Pac-10. They, yeah. they should be in the, in the WAC or whatever. Do you remember that? Did you ever weigh in on that as a columnist at the D.H.? Well, I've done a dozen columns on it since I've been here because um, the main mover and shaker of that was the Arizona president, John Schaefer. Um, ASU did not want to join the Pac-10. Frank Cush wanted to dominate the WAC, and the Board of Regents finally talked him into it. And uh, later I became good friends with Mike Lude, who was the athletic director of Washington. Mm-hmm. He lives here now. Mm-hmm. He told me the day they voted on it in San Francisco – it had to be unanimous that the Washington president wasn't going to vote for Arizona or Arizona State. And finally, the pressure got to him so much that the other seven presidents said it's got to be unanimous. So Washington flipped and it became 8-0. And at the beginning, it was more like 4-4. So it was tough. I mean, it took it was like a three-year process. It wasn't at all like it is now. And uh, we finally let them both in and... Uh, it was about the academic standards there more than the, the TV money, a lot more than the TV money. And the Arizona wanted to be in with the, with the academic giants like Stanford and Cal. So that's what moved it then. That is an interesting anecdote. So what, what do you make of where we are now? I know that's the, the, oh, the $64 million or billion-dollar question, but yeah. what about now? And, and what, what have you written, Greg? I haven't seen all of, of your sort of responses to the yeah. dissolution of our league, but what could you say to us about that? Yeah, it made me sick <clears throat> because of all the terrific rivalries in every sport. Um, I mean, Oregon State baseball against the Arizona schools, mm-hmm. that's big time. Yes. And, and, uh, they're not going to be able to replace stuff like that. And, uh, just made me sick that the presidents rushed it and so many bad decisions were made and suddenly it was too late to turn back and I mean Stanford and Cal are stuck in a cross country journey and Oregon State and Washington State are in neutral. Just man, they had such a good thing going and now they don't have anything going. And with Arizona going to the Big Twelve, that's so so I don't think anybody's too excited about that and and there's a lot of basketball rivalries uh, and all the gyms in the league. I remember when Gil Coliseum was the hot spot in all of Pac-10 basketball. 
and they were ranked number one in the nation. And and that's my perspective is because I got to see a lot more than most people did. And uh, so I'm going to miss all of that greatly. Yeah. And you've written about it, as I, as I said, Greg, uh, preparing for Arizona games in any sport. I read you. I love, I've loved your work through the years. You have written about Arizona basketball vis-a-vis Ralph Miller and Oregon State at the time yeah. you saw the Beavers, as you said, the number one team in the country. What was it like to cover, as a columnist and a writer for the Democrat Herald, those transcendent Pac-10 champion teams of Ralph in those days and what Gill was like? What, do you, what can you say about that? <clears throat> I grew up a big-time college basketball fan with Utah and Utah State and BYU. They are all really good programs in the 70s. And uh, so getting to be around Oregon State, which took it to another level, and the excitement of Gil Coliseum, and Ralph Miller was such an person, unforgettable personality. And I remember him beating UCLA at, at uh, Gill. Well, I think Oregon State was about 25 and 0 in 1981. And um, that, was, that was just so big time. They, they had conquered UCLA. And two years in a row, they won the league. And it was the place to be. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It was, uh, <laughs> Gil Coliseum was the best. I tell people now Gil Coliseum was the best atmosphere in the league for about six years. Mm-hmm. And um, when Ralph was there, and even in maybe Ralph's last year or two, uh, 90 or so, when they got it going again with Gary Payton, it was as good as any place. And uh, I had just had so many fond memories of that. Yeah. And we, we really appreciate the fact that you did experience that. But you got a call. I don't know how it happened, but you put, you know, you had your years here and then the opportunity to go to Tucson and work, and you've been there ever since. It's been a great career, distinguished career, Greg. What, when, when you, you mentioned Dick Tomey, I mean, I, there's way too much ground to cover here, but all yeah. the years writing in Tucson on all the, the Arizona sporting scene, is there a, a team or two, a personality or two, a coach, whatever, that, that kind of stands out for you? Yeah, well, my timing is such that I got here the same year that Lou Olson got here, and, and Arizona was a low-ebb athletic department at the time. Uh, they would draw 5,000 fans to a home basketball game, and suddenly four years later they were ranked number one and in the Final Four, and Lou never had a bad year. Mm-hmm. He never had a year that wasn't in the top 20. He had 25 of them. They went to five Final Fours, and it changed the whole image of the town. The town started thinking of itself as a winner because of what he did and his personality. And, uh, I mean, he, he's the number one person, sports personality in the history of Tucson easily. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just transformed the whole town. And then Dick Tomey came in. They had the two best decades of football back-to-back in the 80s and 90s. Um, and Dick Tomey was one of the, the finest human beings you could ever run across. And so just having the privilege to be involved in those two things was, uh, was really good, good timing. And, and we'll close just on the, uh, on the community here with Jonathan Smith and the fit and what you, I've read you, a column you wrote years ago about guys liked Dick Tomey and Larry Smith and Lute felt like they came to be part of a community and wanted to be part of a community and help build it up and make it feel special. I feel like Jonathan Smith, Mike Riley had that. Jonathan has it. 
I don't know where it all goes now in this whole blowing up of the world as we've known it in conference realignment, but when you get special people like Jonathan, like Lou, like Dick Tomey, you hate to see that in any way meddled with, don't you? Yeah, you know, a couple months ago when I made my Pac-12 predictions for the year, I picked Oregon State to win the league, mm. and it wasn't just, I just wasn't showing that out because I thought they had a good chance. I thought USC might have been a little overrated. Um, they still have that chance, so that's Mm-hmm. I'm clinging to that. That would be what a what a way to go out. That would be the story of the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, the story of the last 30 years in Pac-12 football would be Oregon State winning the league in the last year. I like the sound of that, Greg. Go Beavs. We're looking forward yeah. to that on Saturday. <laughs> Greg, it's nice to talk to you again. I look forward to seeing the press box on Saturday. Really appreciate your time and perspective as always. Thanks a lot, Mike. See you soon. Thank you, Greg. Greg Hansen, our guest. Let's break and wrap up hour number one. Rod Gilmore coming up at 12.05 on Joe Radio. That's what I wanted yeah. to ask. It's hard to say. Because, you know, you you know, Oregon and, and Washington's oh, yeah. hatred comes from a vote. So did the vote that Washington didn't want to give in 78 right. to bring Arizona into the conference, did that create a rivalry of hatred between Arizona and Washington the same way Oregon hates Washington for... Here's why Not giving them a vote for yeah. something back Here's in the, why I don't whatever. think so. A couple of reasons. One is, they did ultimately come around and vote them in. That's one. Right. They didn't vote for Cal instead of Arizona, as Washington did the Rose Bowl. Right. And not Oregon back when the whole thing really took got going, the bitterness, the enmity in 48. It was just, they didn't want them, and then they came around to bring them in. Yes. So that's that. And secondly... Tucson, Seattle, Seattle, Eugene, Tucson, Seattle, yeah. Seattle. I mean, the Pacific Northwest, the rivalries with the four schools in this area yeah. are just more bitter and intense, period, than you can create with that kind of range between the Santa Rita, Catalina, Rincon. We've got Rod Gilmore coming up in a few. 1240 Joe Radio welcomes you to the Joe Beaver Show, the only show on the electric radio dealing with life's greatest questions. How are the beavers doing this season? But with sympathy for life's hierarchy of needs. Will you go to lunch? Go to lunch. Will you go to lunch? Yes, please go to lunch. Take a long lunch and join us as we ponder life's big questions. How are the beavers doing this season? Groucho is in. This is the last hat of its kind. The beavers have stopped making them. They're all out playing football. Fields, he's in. What's out of beavers, town? And you, you're welcome in to the Joe Beaver Show, where we're not concerned with life's trifling questions. What do you know about life after death? But with visions of Pac-10 glory. You know how it's gonna be. And the inside scoop. Give it to me straight, Doc. So join the party. Let's make Joe famous. Sure, I'm willing. And now, here are your hosts. John. That's the word in the street, Johnny. Warren and Mike. I haven't dabbled in Kierkegaard. Parker on the home of the Beavers, 1240 Joe Radio. We head into the second hour. Mike Parker with John Warren. That's going back to 2009 as we look forward to moving into hour number two in a conversation with former Stanford defensive back and a longtime analyst with ABC and ESPN since 1996. He also has a Doctor of Jurisprudence degree from the Berkeley Law School. So he goes from Stanford for his undergraduate yeah, work that. in English 
<laughs> so in a recent interview that I saw with our next guest, he's quoting Hemingway and the sun also rises with respect to the dissolution of the Pac-12. He, he's, a, he's a pretty smart guy. He is a smart guy. He's a talented uh, person who is practicing law in the Bay Area with the, the degree from Berkeley after the English degree at Stanford and a distinguished football career for the Stanford Cardinal. And the combined scores, th- this kind of gets to Greg Hansen, who was with us a, just a few minutes ago. The three games that Rod played Oregon State in, final score 1980, Stanford 54, Beavers 13. 1981, Stanford 63, the Beavers 9. And in 1982, Stanford 45, the Beavers 5. We'll have to ask him if he remembers any of those three Well, he, you know, I'm sure that because he... <laughs> He's an attention-to-detail kind of guy. He'll, he'll be the analyst <laughs> on Saturday night's uh, game between the Beavers and Arizona in Tucson. It's a pleasure to welcome Rod Gilmore to the Joe Beaver Show again. Rod, thank you for your time. How are you today? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me. You guys are far, far too kind. <laughs> well, uh, you weren't very kind to the Beavers in your years against Oregon State. Uh, John said you were – I'll ask you, do you – you have any recollection at all of those? Yeah, I'm sure you do of your teams, but just in a sense, where Oregon State was then, and you guys you just beat the Beavers up and down the field all three of your years as a player. I, I have no idea what you're talking about because <laughs> the only thing I remember is losing up there. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. With uh, we we <laughs> we thought we made a game-winning field goal, uh, but it didn't. The official said it wasn't good, and so that's the only game I remember. The one we lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was after Greg Hansen was just on with us, the longtime Arizona Daily Star columnist. He said that you guys took a safety in that game. Your your kick returner went out and yeah. stepped out of the end zone or something. But you're saying you got the ball back, drove the field, and missed a field goal, according to the yeah. official. Yeah, and it was just a, it was an unfortunate play. I mean, Rick Jervis was a great, great, great player for us. Great return guy, had a great career with the 49ers as a defensive back. Uh, and it was just one of those weird things, you know, and, and he stepped out, stepped back in, and, you know, we got hit with the safety. But, um, you know, we went down the field and thought we were all good to go, set up for a field goal, and we were celebrating and said, yeah, that's good. The officials said, nah, that was why. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wow, that is that, so that's, that, that's the only game I remember. <laughs> okay, the, yeah, you do, you do, Rod. As a great competitor, you kind of remember the tough losses a little more than the big wins. Is that true? That that's so true. I mean, if you ask me about you know uh, my career at Stanford, the the only plays that come up that I think of are the plays that I didn't make. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> there's uh, there's there's just so much involved in, in in playing college football at the same time getting an English degree and then moving on to to a law degree. I mean, you must have been really busy for a long time. And and now you're you're an analyst. You're you're a, you're a lawyer. You're you're studying. You're doing law and all kinds of stuff in the Bay Area. I mean, uh, Rod, you're you're a smart guy, and you must be really good at time management. Well, let, let's get one thing straight. And you know, no one can do these things without a great, great, great group of people, you know, uh, around you. And I've got great partners and colleagues on the legal front. Uh, on the ESPN front, uh, my wife has been a saint for over 30 years of not having, you know, weekends and being, you know, left with the kids and the like. So 
there have been a whole lot of people who have really pitched in to make this work. Um, sure. Because otherwise, you know, you just you, you can't. Time management is one thing, but with the amount of work that's required in both those professions, uh, without people helping out and without technology, um, you, you couldn't possibly do it. So I'm I'm fortunate to have a great group of folks uh, who, who I work with on the legal front and that I work with on the ESPN front, who for years have been very, very good about, you know, accommodating my schedule. So um, it, it takes a lot more than just having the desire and, you know, whatever aptitude you have for something like that to be able to do it. It, takes, it really does take a village. Rod Gilmore, the analyst for the game Saturday night, uh, joining us on the Joe Beaver Show, the game on ESPN. Rod's been part of the ABC ESPN family since 1996, if you don't mind me asking, Rod, only because we may get into this, into the weeds of Oregon State and Washington State's case as the back two in a moment from a legal standpoint, but what kind of law do you practice in the Bay Area? I'm a corporate transactional lawyer, um, so a lot of contract work, um, a lot of startup companies, a lot of um, initial financings, um, you know, buying and selling companies and helping them work through um, running their business. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, you know, kind of, um, kind, has kind of been the thing in Silicon Valley for quite a while now. So yeah, we're in the thick of it. We have a small firm. Um, so it worked perfectly well for us. Do you have a sense, Rod? I mean, I know you've weighed in, uh, from just an emotional, personal standpoint, even talking about, you know, losing the game in 79 and the safety and then the other games and your years of seasoning and history in our league. I heard you in a podcast with Charles Arbuckle talking about mm-hmm. how how sad you were, Charles, a former Bruin, how both of you guys were lamenting the end of our conference. I want to get into some details perhaps here in a moment, but let's start with that. Rod, as it hit you when you first heard the news and even as this season is playing out, what are some of the things that, that go through your mind? Well, I'm I'm sad that we're losing you know, in my view, one of the greatest conferences that, that's ever existed. And I'm angry about it, too. Um, you know, it wasn't something that, that hit me, you know, when the season began. I, I, I've seen this coming for several months when, um, you know, USC and UCLA left, and um, it, it appeared that folks were asleep at the will, if you will, um, with the Pac-12 and some presidents and boards of trustees. Uh, I, I didn't think they recognized the threat, uh, although it was very clear and present. I don't think they realized the danger to the conference. Uh, I think they had their head in the sand. And so when it actually happened, I was not surprised. Mm-hmm. I was just angry about it because there was plenty of time to do something to avoid this. We shouldn't be in this position. Oregon State shouldn't be in this position. Washington State shouldn't be in this position. This is terrible. Mm-hmm. It didn't have to happen. Um, but greed, arrogance, um, you know, hubris um, put us in this spot, and it's just awful. It could have been avoided. So, yeah, I'm I'm sad about it. This is one of the greatest conferences that's ever existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should not be in this position where, you know, this this conference has had elite play for so many decades. We're the conference of quarterbacks, offensive football, um, innovation, and the like. Um, you know, the the West Coast doing things a little differently than the Midwest and the South. And all that's being tossed aside now because folks, um, you know, as I said, they were head in the sand. They were arrogant, hubris, greedy, um, all those things. And it's just gone now. And that history is being wiped out, and it really shouldn't be. It's, it's a shame. 
Rod Gilmore joining us. And in your conversation with Charles, I know only an English major at Stanford could pull this, but you likened it, and I'd love to hear you share your thoughts about you quoted with Charles from The Sun, <laughs> The Sun Also Rises, <laughs> about how this happened. So could you share that with our audience a little bit, please? That's a great analogy, a great but tell us about that. Oh, I just, you know, uh, you know, there's some, there's some lines and there's some works that stick with you over time. And, you know, that was one of them is, you know, how did you go bankrupt? Well, um, slowly and all at once. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's Uh, the story, right? I mean, that is the story. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, this thing has been coming for a while. And, um, like I said, folks mm-hmm. didn't pay attention to it. And then they looked up one day and went, Oh my God, mm-hmm. we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it just, it just hit me. It's like, Oh, I, I've seen this before. I've read this line before. Right. I know this. And so it, it, you know, it just seemed appropriate. So, uh, and as I said, it's, it's really a shame. I mean, you know, I know that right now Washington state and Oregon state are trying to figure out, um, what to do. And I saw something, I think it was yesterday or the day before, where the Oregon State, no, the Washington State Athletic Director said, look, you know, we didn't create the situation. And the teams that did this to us, they should be bending over backwards to help us out. He's absolutely right. You know, uh, there's a fight now in the, in the courts about what to do about the remaining assets, who should have the right to control um, the March Madness money, the, um, the college football playoff money, the assets of the Pac-12 network. We should have the right to control that, and that's probably north of a hundred million bucks. Um, and I think that he's right that that should be up to Washington State and Oregon State as to you know what what happens or how they decide to deal with that, as opposed to you know USC and UCLA who began this, aligned with the other uh, eight members who are leaving to say, yeah, we still want our fair share. They created this situation. Mm-hmm. It's really. It's really unfathomable that, you know, they would they would walk out and say, yeah, we've done this to you, but we want the lion's share of the money. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted that we have people sitting in these positions of power as president and chairman of the board of trustees of higher education, and they look at this situation and they go, yeah, we still want more. You know, <laughs> I'm just, seriously, this is what we're doing now? This is what we're, how we're supposed to regard our institutions of higher education? Come on. And you look at it too, Rod, that, that it seems so, uh, we, could, we could all be wrong. Who knows what happens? It's, it's jurisprudence, by the way. But it seems such a slam dunk that you wonder, how do these people who are really smart, I mean, did, did someone tell them, hey, if you do this, you can get this, and they believed it? Because how would they look at that and go, yeah, let's try for that, even though we, 10, said no to USC and UCLA for a whole year? Well, I, I think we all know that, um, you know, when, when stuff like this happens, uh, the concern for the greater good, what's good for college, what's good for college athletics, what's good for the industry goes out the window. And right now, everyone is looking at their own self-interest. How do I plug the hole in my budget? You know, where can I find some more dollars? Yeah. And, you know, um, it's it's easy enough for them to justify, hey, if there's if Oregon State and Washington State have a problem, they're trying to figure out how to uh, put together a schedule for 2024 and beyond, and whether they have this conference or whether they need to merge, and they've got to deal with those issues. That's fine. Let them deal with that. Our issue is 
Um, if you're Cal or Stanford or so, you're going, well, we've got a $30, $40 million hole in our budget. If we can dig up a few more bucks, great. We'll, we'll focus that way. And the same with, you know, all the other schools. Mm-hmm. What will help them as they transition to the ACC or the Big Ten or the Big 12? And so they don't want to walk away from it. And, you know, it's, it's kind of unseemly, but it is the way that it is going right now. It's, it's unfortunate. Rod Gilmore joining us. He'll be the analyst Saturday night. Rod, you've mentioned both of your alma maters there in that in that answer. Stanford and Cal to the ACC. I just I, I look around and just kind of go, what, what you know, what what country is this? What world are we in? What's going right. on? How do you feel about that as someone who cares about both institutions? You played at Stanford, a law degree from Cal. What do you make of that? How sustainable do you think that might be? Stanford and Cal to the ACC. Well, I'm not sure it is sustainable, and as we've seen over a long period of time, the last group that gets considered in these decisions is really, you know, the players. Uh, this, this is not good for the athletes on campus, uh, whether you are talking about time spent away from campus, uh, travel, or stress, or the impact on their families who want to see them play. Uh, it's, not, it's not good for them. And I can tell you just from the conversations that I've had with fellow Stanford and Cal alums that the community is, is polarized over this. I mean, uh, folks are happy that the programs are still in a, a major conference, uh, but they're not happy with the notion that the Stanford and Cal are aligned with the, a conference on the East Coast. They're not thrilled about that at all. So I, I think um, it's, not a, it's not been a popular decision. Um, I think those who are focused on, on the money are pleased with it and the prestige. They're pleased with that. But I think when you talk to the rank-and-file alums, they ask the same question. Why, why are we doing this? How does this really work for you know, these athletes? Can we continue to call this amateur athletics? And how, can we continue to say that it's not important than anything else that they do at school? Where, where, where do academics fit in this at all? Why are we traveling our you know, our, our baseball team or our soccer team across the country, are they going to spend a week or 10 days back there to do those things? How does this work for anybody? Mm, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's problematic. Um, personally, you know, um, like I said, I'm, I'm sorry to see the Pac-12 go. I'm, I'm sorry to see this happen this way, but I also firmly believe that this is not the final, you know, chapter of this book on realignment and what happens with the West Coast schools uh, and the like. Um, I, I, as you guys know, I mean, a lot of this is driven by TV, and I believe that the next round of TV contracts will have a further impact on who is aligned where. And whether that means, um, you know, there's still an alignment in the ACC or uh, the Big 12, Big 10 get bigger or smaller, I, I'm not sure. But I think one thing has been clearly established now, and that is the concept that. Uh, every team in a conference is entitled to an equal share of TV revenues. Um, that's gone out the window. We, we now have precedents, precedents set across the board that, you know, you can take substantially less, and you will take substantially yeah. less to be in a major conference. And I, I, I just don't know how that's going to uh, change going forward. We've already heard Florida State and Clemson come out and say, we deserve way more than anybody else in our mm-hmm. conference, and mm-hmm. I'm sure Miami will say the same thing. They're tied into a deal until 2036. Mm-hmm. There's no way they're going to sit back and allow that to happen. So there's more movement that will come there. 
Um, and who knows? I mean, at some point, Michigan and Ohio State might say, we're carrying the rest of you guys over here, mm-hmm. except Penn State and the Big Ten. So this equal sharing doesn't work. So you guys either accept that you're going to get you know, 10%, 15%, or we'll cut you loose. But something dramatic is going to happen in the next five, six years when those contracts come up again. Last thing on this, we really appreciate your time. Maybe a question or two then on the game, and that is being a Cal and Stanford guy in the area, and as you mentioned, talking with some some people, what's the pulse on why Cal and Stanford didn't stick with Oregon State? Did they feel they were too good for us, or was it for them just a, a money thing? Yeah, it was just money, just the budget. Yeah. It was simple, simple as that. You know, um, I think there was a real painful aspect to walking away from Washington State and Oregon State, uh, but I, I am absolutely certain from the discussions that I've had that the focus uh, for the boards of trustees for both institutions was how do we plug this hole? When you take a TV uh, revenue stream of somewhere between 30 and 40 million bucks that mm-hmm. you had plugged into your budget, and that goes away, and now the focus becomes, well, if you don't plug it, the university has to find a way to plug it. And that was the priority. And cutting a deal that gives them some money and some opportunity to plug that hole further in the future was the focus. That took a higher priority than the loyalty to, you know, Oregon State and Washington State. Having said that, I will say this. I do believe that if those four schools had stayed together, uh, there was a better chance of saving the Pac-12 mm-hmm. than doing it with two schools. I think it would have been easier to set a schedule to make it work uh, and also a better argument for fighting for the assets that are remaining for right. the conference. Right. Um, I think that would have been a, another way and to ride this thing out for the next five, six years and see what happens when the next round of TV contracts come up. But. You know, I'm I'm not the chairman of the board of trustees of either of those institutions, <laughs> and I I don't I don't get to have the say so over what they should do. <laughs> in the and Rod, yeah, we were all hoping for that too. I mean, but that didn't happen either. So here we are in the final year of the conference that we've loved for all these decades and known and appreciate. I heard you reference Jim Plunkett in your podcast and Randy Vidaha, John Ralston, Don Bunce. I mean, some some memorable teams at your alma mater and coaches and personalities and the history that you've already alluded to. So in this being the final year, last question, and that is the Beavers in Arizona come Saturday night in Tucson. Just, uh, I guess, a general thought from you before we, we turn you loose and really appreciate your time about this matchup, about what both teams are doing, what you're seeing with both programs. I think this is the best Pac-12 game of the weekend. All due respect to the Oregon-Utah game, and I get it. And folks mm-hmm. are excited about that. But I think this is such a great matchup because you have a contrast in styles, um, and you also have two programs that have rebuilt themselves differently, but on kind of a similar track. It's taken Oregon State a little bit longer. Jonathan Smith has been there. This is his sixth year, and he built it a very, very, you know, deliberate way. It reflects the personality that he wants his team to have, the culture he wants. Um, and Fish did, Jet Fish did a little bit differently at Arizona. Two years ago, they won one game. Um, he's had to use the portal, and he's gotten his team really competitive, and you know they're going to be a bowl team this year. Um, so I think that's exciting. Arizona is in a position where they can, they can compete with and beat anybody in the conference any day. And you couldn't say that last year or two years ago. Mm-hmm. And the same with Oregon State. I thought last season Oregon State was a handful of quarterback plays away from winning the conference. And I told somebody this season, 
if I had any guts, I would have picked Oregon State on day one to win the conference this year. It just didn't roll off the tongue, if you know what I mean. Uh, but when you start to look at the schedule as to what's happening in November, Oregon and Oregon State are best set up to fight for the championship because each of them have one game against you know a, a competitor that is fighting for the conference, whether that's Washington or USC. Then they play each other. Everyone else involved, Utah, you know, um, uh, USC, everyone else involved, they have multiple tough games like that. So I, I think, you know, we're going to be treated Saturday to seeing Oregon and Oregon State in what begins the real battle for the race for the conference, and we'll see how it, how it shows up. Um, I, I'm excited because the country has not seen Oregon State on ESPN this year. Uh, this will be the first opportunity to introduce uh, folks across the country to this style of play that I'm very comfortable with and, you know, kind of grew up on. Uh, but the country has seen so much uh, run-pass option, spread, no tight end, you know, no fullback, that they haven't seen this style of play, um, the pro-style, powerful running game that Oregon State has. They haven't seen a lot of that this season. So I'm looking forward to it. We are too, Rod, and we really appreciate your time and perspective. Hope to see you Saturday uh, in uh, Tucson. Thank you for making time for the show. Keep up the great work, and let's uh, let's talk again soon. Thanks for your time, sir. Hope to see you Saturday. Thanks for having me on. Really Thank you, Rod. It. Thank you, Rod Gilmore. Good stuff from a good analyst. Yeah. Back-to-back ESPNs, right? Yeah. This week? I don't know if it's the same crew, but yeah. Right, and I didn't ask him that either, but we'll know soon enough. Let's break, Doc. Open phones the rest of the way. Open phones and texts. 541-497-5356. Neither the time nor place, in, in, in a sense. Rod, Rod's on the side of the angels in his own heart about how all this has gone down. Mm. And it's not. He's not He's not the chairman of the board of trustees at either Stanford or Cal or here or Washington State or anywhere else. Nor is he the chairman of ESPN. I mean, I didn't want to draw him into, well, eh, what about the complicity yeah, of your yeah, network and, yeah. and others? That's not. He, he's a, he's a, a, an outstanding game analyst, and I wasn't going to draw him in on that, even though all of the things indirectly that he's touching on about where we are well, I would be worried. laid at the feet of... You, yeah, at those t- t- yeah. T- Fox and ESPN, I was worried about a like a gag order. Oh, like he, I, I can't make any. No, yeah. he he commented, I thought fairly freely about. Oh yeah, how this is all yeah. playing and out. And you had heard so- him say something yeah. before. That's why you knew. Right. I was thinking. I know. We, I want, and I had heard a podcast, an excellent one with Charles Arbuckle, yeah, former Bruin, uh, chopping it up with. Uh, I think it's called uh, chopping it up with Charles Arbuckle, and one of the things he did say, you know, the. The sun also rises. How did you go bankrupt? Well, first gradually, <laughs> then all at once. I'm not sure what character says that, but sounds about right. <laughs> we we have open phones the rest of the way. Thanks for joining us on the Joe Beaver Show. Started looking too late here, Michael. Um, but I want to play something for you and get your opinion on this. Uh, okay. No, that's... Oh, Chris Russo retiring? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. This is from last night. Tell me if you think this is too understated for the significance of the victory. Same so guy. It's the same Joker again yeah. who the day before. Diamondbacks well, Radio Network. Seven. And okay. is this too understated? Okay. And a fly ball, right field, going over as Corbin Carroll. He's under it. He's got it. 
and the 2023 Arizona Diamondbacks are headed to the World Series for the second time in their 26-year history. They have upset the Philadelphia Phillies. They come back after losing the first two games here in Philadelphia. They went four of the last five, the last two here at Citizens Bank Park, and they beat the Phillies four games to three, winning tonight's game by a final score of four to two. What do you think? I, I was expecting, they did it! They yeah, did it! Oh yeah. my gosh, they I, won two! You know, the I whole... know, I know, and actually, in a sense, I kind of, not that I'm a practitioner by any means of the understated call, <laughs> although... Although I will say this, you know, when it, it's not, you shouldn't talk about yourself that much. I will say that I would have, I would have been a little more upbeat about, and the, the Diamondbacks yeah. for this, you know, going back to the World Series. That and the amazement it, of the Right, and they win two games against all odds. And, you know, when Chris Russo is going to retire because of this, you know, I mean, you could have gotten a lot of, a lot of different stuff in. Listening to him, I will say this, just as a listener, yeah. I don't know who he is. He's in the big leagues, as Ted Williams used to say. And why Ted Williams, the late great, was not, he didn't get on umpires very often. He was one of those superstars because Ted's doctrine was, if you're in the big leagues, in your, whatever you are, I respect you, Mr. Umpire, for working your rear end off to get to this level. We're all kind of in it together. And he felt that way about Kurt Gowdy and and broadcaster friends of his who got to the big leagues as broadcasters. So let me, now, let me give writers, a disclaimer. not so much. Right. Let me give a yeah. disclaimer because I actually always do this and say this. I don't, it is, I feel dirty criticizing it, a, anybody a play by else. Play guy, yeah, I know. Especially one who's far exceeded. And he's my, in the big leagues. He's yes. in the big leagues. He's absolutely one of the best. But it's so understated, I had to do it I, because I, it is not my thing. I, I understand. To, to, do, to bring up other players. So, yeah, guys. I get it. And and the thing that the thing that it struck me as, listen, yes, I think it's a little too understated for the magnitude of the moment. That's just a, a an opinion. I you know I think I would have yeah. gone a little bit bigger, a little bit grander in that big moment. He's also very careful in pronouncing the words exactly the way that the ball is. <laughs> That's actually that, a really good. That uh, that imitation. It, it strikes me as being a little bit more concerned about the fly ball yeah. to right field. And again, so what? He's in the big leagues and you ain't, so who are you to exactly. die? You're right. You're no, right. Exactly. I, I grant that. That's Ted di- Williams would agree. That's a disclaimer. So good for him. Good for him. But I'm just saying as a listener, not mm-hmm. as a fellow broadcaster. Right. As a listener, it strikes me as he's a little uh, more worried about how it's coming out. <laughs> That's a really it's dead on imitation right there. <laughs> that is about the okay. best imitation you've done <laughs> okay, thank over you. the years. Well, I, uh, thank you for that. And I've been working to get that kind of uh, affirmation through all these decades yes, together. Yes. Now, we're going to cue up some sound, speaking of sound, from our own quarterbacks. We are. We, we are. don't do this very often, but T.J. Mathewson hustled yesterday and w- was able to get some sound from our quarterbacks, D.J. Uyunglele and Aiden Childs. And I just thought in our final minutes together here today that – it would be fun to hear them out a little bit. These are the guys who will get snaps in Arizona Stadium Saturday night. You had Greg Hansen saying he picked the Beavers to win the conference, and you could tell Rod Gilmore was right on. 
you know, who's going to win the conference. And he wanted, he just didn't have the guts to step out and say Oregon State because he was fearful of pushback at <laughs> Oregon State. Yeah, yeah. But he saw how close the Beavers were last year. A couple of quarterback plays away. You have SC beat if you don't throw four interceptions. He wasn't wrong. So. Yeah, you beat Washington. And you, you, you get pro- a couple of first downs. Probably, yes. So Rod was close to picking the Beavers. And as hard as this game is, and Greg Hansen laid out a good case for how much improved and good mm-hmm. Arizona is, and they are, and I think it's a very tough game. I still think the Beavers over the next two weeks in tough circumstances on the road, tough teams to play, varying weathers, 85 in Tucson, 25 in Boulder, according to the what oh, somebody's boy. looked. It's going to be, the high is going to be 27. It's projected to be 27 when the Beavers go to Boulder. And 5,000 feet. Yeah. It's true. We're at 2,200 feet or whatever in Tucson, but, or 2,389, something like that. But the Beavers are a sound, well-built football team and program that I just think are ready to take care of business the next three weeks. I agree. Leading them into a match. If they get uh, by this week. This is the game to This is the game. This is the big game. It's not just because it's the next game. No. This is the I, I think winning this, it's a little bit like Joel Klatt's doctrine on UCLA at Oregon State. If UCLA, da, 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 if they can get by the Beavers, look out. But they I, didn't. They didn't. So the analog- analogies never hold completely. <laughs> I'm just saying that this is the Beavers t- go in there, play their game, play sound football. They'll win. And that then it gets them on that track that Gilmore was kind of hinting at, that yeah. both Oregon and Oregon State are on a course to play each other for the berth in Vegas and, you know, uh, and being one of the two teams. That's there. why I get, I get irritatingly angry for a brief moment when I see these, which I, you shouldn't look at them this early, when I see these stupid bowl projections. Oh, right. That's why I don't. And it has, it'll have Oregon State in some bowl that they routinely <laughs> get to. Sun or Vegas, or Vegas, yeah. and it's like you, you just want to punch them in the throat. See, seriously, well, do you see what we're working with? I here? know, but that's why we don't look at them. Right? I know, and I because I we get shouldn't. we get a little worked up, like poor Uncle Bob working me up on Joe Namath versus Roman Gabriel. Yeah. Now we're going to go to Paul, and then we're going to hear from our quarterbacks, yeah. DJ and Aiden, as they get ready for a trip down to Tucson. Paul, good afternoon. Hey, uh, yeah, hey, Mike, I've. Going back to baseball here, something uh, from last weekend. Did, did anybody? Did they? They didn't have any kind of uh, stream setups or anybody filming the game. What game? The the baseball games on Saturday. I don't know. Connor Stallions might have been there filming the filming the game for Michigan baseball. I, you know, I'm not sure. <laughs> but anyway, no. I mean, I I don't think they were streamed. No. Well, I know it wasn't streamed. But I was just hoping somebody. There was there was a fantastic double play by BC third baseman that I don't think I've ever seen before. Hmm. We had a we had a runner on third, and the batter hit a pitch that was ankle high, and it was a line drive that was no more than six inches off the ground. Mm-hmm. And the third baseman dove to his right and caught it. Then he rolled over to his left, and then he. Drove to the base and slapped the base with his glove. Hmm. You know, <laughs> it's like I, one I, of those plays. Yeah. Well, I bet it is. You know, I'm sure the games. Uh, yes. To answer your question, no, it wasn't streamed, but everything is videoed. So yes, I might be able to get a look at that because everything that the Beavers do in practice and so on is available. I'm sure via some sort of digital uh, 
replay. So I'll I'll ask Mitch about it when I see him, and maybe or Brad, Brad Brown or somebody to see if I can take a look at it if it indeed was that spectacular. It was it was it was one of the best I've ever seen because I've never seen a play that any ways form even came close to how that one happened. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, a, a yeah. line drive six inches off the ground. I mean, it was like phenomenal. I'd have to look for that kid in the transfer portal out of the University of <laughs> British Columbia. <laughs> hey, Paul, anything else? Hey, we, we've got a couple of good first basemen already. I don't think we need to look in the transfer portal for another <laughs> one. But, yeah, that, that okay. kid made a heck of a play. Thanks a lot, Paul. Okay, uh, Paul has done a nice job of providing us with some baseball stuff that we didn't Chronically. get to see. Okay. Now, well, here's what here I have a question yeah. for you. I have the full, just here it is, microphone's in there, or the cuts that TJ created from that. I'd rather hear the interactions. Okay. Cuts or cuts, I'd rather hear just sort of, okay, what are the questions, and how did DJU, is DJU first? No, I got Aiden. Got Aiden Childs first. And how long I've been here right now, it's uh, really just proven to me that I've came here for the culture and the team and everything. But Coach Smith was building something great. I realized what it was. This is the only team that really let me compete as a freshman and let me be who I am. So nobody wanted to change me or anything, so they just let me come here and play. So that's what I wanted to do. When you enrolled here in January, what are the first couple things that hit you about this place? It's work. It's just work. Like, I'm, I've been working my whole life. And since high school, when I was in high school, Downey High School working, but uh, this is really work. It's, uh, it's a lot. But uh, you get through it, and it's harder than usual. It was also easier in some in some senses, but it's fun. So that's all I can say. What sort of value has it been to to uh, be in the same position with DJ? What's he? What's he? How's he helped you? Oh, he's helped me grow a lot. It's great to be in the position I'm in because I'm in between two quarterbacks, a quarterback that's already been here and DJ, who's already been playing on a higher level, and it's just uh, it's awesome, man. Like I get to learn. I get to learn from their mistakes and learn from my mistakes as well, and they get to help me throughout the team uh, throughout the team periods and everything. You know, I get to just come back to the sideline and talk to them about what they saw, what I saw, and it's just it's a great feeling to be able to learn from both of them. When did, when did you feel like you were ready to play? I feel like I've been ready to play. That's my thing. But uh, it really hit me like that I could play in the end of spring ball uh, when I they put me out with the ones, and I was like, okay, this is getting a little easier. I could do this. I can do this more often, so that was really it. When, when you were told they were going to have you play the third series of some of these games, what's what's the preparation for some of that like? Because it's like it's kind of like you're just one chance to go out and do something. It's the same as every week. Every week is the same preparation. We always watch film. We always talk over the game plan, do the same things. And during that drive, I just make the most of my opportunity. In the, the day, if I go out there and don't score, I go out there and do score. It's the same thing. Same preparation each week. School and kind of stepping out into one of the biggest conferences for your position, it must be a lot of a lot of pressure. Just how do you take that pressure? Is it something that excites you, motivates you? Maybe were you a little bit nervous at first, but now you're more confident. Just how do you feel about it? I wouldn't say nervous, but more like more like anxious. You know, anxious to get out there because at the end of the day, I I was told that I can come in here and compete right away. So it was just. It was really exciting just to be in such a great program with Coach Smith, under Coach Smith, and just be able to come out here and show what I can do, you know? So it was just, I'm grateful for it, of course, because Coach Smith let me come in here and do what I have to do. So that's all I'm, I'm grateful for, it. yeah. When you, when you walk around campus, do students know who you are? What do they say to you? I don't really walk around campus for real because 
I take all my classes online right now, but uh, some of them, like, I see certain people and they say, like, you ate a child, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but that's about it. Not so too much. So you, you, you haven't spent much time up on campus at all? Or? I had, like, three classes uh, my first three terms. So, yeah, when I earlier rode, I haven't been in class since summer. So, yeah. If I said, where's the Memorial Union, would you know where that is? Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, I know that MBU is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, nah, we good. I know that MBU is. So, so you've been around, though, a yep, little bit. Yep, yep. So, when you do run into students, do they know who you are? Or, or? Yeah, like, I don't really, like, try to out myself, you oh, know? Sure. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's just, like, uh, some people recognize me here and there. Uh, it's none too, none too serious. When, I, when I'm walking next to DJ, though, they know who DJ is. Though, yeah? So, like, it is what it is, but that's about it. He's kind of a big man on campus. Uh, well, I think so. There's a lot of older people that come up to him. When I we was walking to practice one day, and somebody showed up. He was like, "You DJ?" I was like, "All right." And I kept walking. He took his picture and kept it pushing. I was like, "All right, yo, we're up." Yep. The decision to, to come here to, to Oregon State and, and Coach Smith and Coach Lindgren, that relationship. How, how has that relationship grown since you got here on campus? Oh, I love Coach Smith, man. Uh, it was good before I got here, of course, but uh, I really got here, and I we've talked. A lot since I've been here, like just about anything really. Sometimes he just put me in his office just to talk, and uh, I don't know. I just feel like that's great to have with my coach, especially being a head coach and me being in the position I'm in, and he played the same position as me. So it's just I'm, I'm in a perfect position right now. It's just I don't know. I love Coach Smith, man. That's really what I got to say. That uh, first series you you had with against Utah, the one. What did you learn from that? <laughs> don't that get was, hit. That was kind of rough, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a. Uh, First time going, like, we're against a good defense, really. And uh, really just, at the end of the day, you got to make the most of the opportunity. So, like, my thing was I learned I learned that I got to not get hit. And that's really what it was. I just got to go out there and make the most out of my opportunity every time. And if that happens, that happens, you know. It's, it's not always going to be my fault, but it, at the end of the day, you just got to do what you got to do when you get out there. Yeah. You just talked about the importance. I, I would imagine a big – uh, reason why you came here, you said it was your opportunity to play. Just do you feel like going out there and getting those reps um, against another great great defenses um, in the Pac-12 has really helped you grow more into the player that you are because of those uh, that opportunity? I think so, yes. Especially after going out of there out there against Utah and then coming next week and scoring and the next week and scoring, it's more like, it's just like, all right, we can keep doing this. Like, But uh I don't know. I've grown. I feel like I've grown a lot since I've been here, even without the reps. At the end of the day, I'm just learning, especially being where I'm at, learning from DJ and learning from Coach Lindgren, Coach Smith, Coach Boyer, all of them. It's just a, it's an easy place to be in because you get so much, like, with learning, you get so much help, and it's just, it's perfect. I'm, I'm in a perfect position right now. I'll be all right. Yeah. You, you've talked a lot today about, about Jonathan. Seemed like you have pretty good affection for him. What? Was there something about him on the, when he was recruiting you you saw that maybe you didn't see from other coaches? or uh, He was honest. A lot of coaches, they wanted me to be somebody who I wasn't and also wanted me. They was going to reassure me regardless. They was going to do whatever they had to do with me. They just wanted me to be just another quarterback in the system. And Coach Smith was, going here, was here to mold me and be there for me as a coach and a person in general. As a, like, not a friend, but a friend, if you understand what I'm saying. But yeah. I like the sound of this kid, and yeah. you know, I just thought we're going to take a final break and come back with a veteran, DJ Oyungle, a great voice, He's got a good voice, and a, and a kind of a playful spirit, uh-huh. uh, amiable, approachable, yeah. humble. But he loves Coach Smith, and 
Jonathan Stain, and I believe in my heart of hearts, I think as uncertain as the next year or two may be, I I think Coach is going to stick it out, if at all possible, and I believe it is, I think he will, and, and I still think even if the circumstances change somewhat dramatically, that Aiden might make the same decision. A lot of people say, oh, you never would have gotten him if. Well, in the coaching world, and look at all the players that end up, you know, just for whatever, for argument's sake, from the Mountain West, going to the National Football League as quarterbacks, there is a track record of that. Not that the Beavers are in the Mountain West, I'm not saying that, but I guess what I'm saying is, if there's a sense of having stepped down a bit, or a little bit, you know, it's not as sexy, gaudy as the Pac-12 schedule and all mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I understand. But I think if Jonathan is your head coach and the way he entreats his players, recruits his players, honest with his players, coaches his players, that's gonna that's not going to change as long as he and so many of his outstanding staff members are here. We'll hear from DJ, who made the choice to come here from Clemson. That's next on the Joe Beaver Show. So a little bit the the, the tradition of who gets the first question in pressers the veteran, not Helen, whatever her last name was, and all of President oh, Reagan yeah, and yeah, others' pressers, yeah. but Nick Daschle. So here's Nick opening the Q&A with DJU after practice yesterday. So what, uh, what's clicked for you the last two, three games? Um, I think, man, for me, man, I feel like my confidence has definitely gone up. It's definitely gone through the roof. I feel comfortable in the offense, guys around me. Uh, it's been good, man. I just feel, feel comfortable. I think that's the biggest thing. Like when you're at a comfortable spot, Feel like you know everything that's going on, you know the plan, know the progression. You got coach, you got confidence, you and the players got confidence, you got confidence in everybody else. Feels good to go out there and play football. Was there a, a play or a series in in one of these recent games that kind of gave you this feeling that I got this and, and and things have really gone north since then? Uh, I want to say not. I don't think a particular play. I feel like I think the preparation. I feel like I put in. The work, the preparation throughout the week to be able to come out on the field and be able to be successful on Saturday. So I feel like for me, man, and the good thing to see is we put in all the work from from Sunday to Sunday to Friday, leading up to the day of the game. It's always nice to see like the fruits of your labor from the work you put in throughout the week, the guys on the team, with the coaching staff, and I feel like that's probably lead, led to the success. It seems like over these last three games, it's not only you. It's it's, it's Anthony Gould, it's mm-hmm. Silas, it's Jack Belling. Is that what what is what is elevating their game? Is it is it you that's that's that, that it's in sync with them now or, or yeah, how? I think, uh, I think yeah, I think. But at the same time, they're playing unbelievable. I think they're making a they're making a routine plays. They're also making the spectacular plays as well. I mean, they're doing their job. They're knowing what they need to do, and they've done a great job of just making the making the plays, making the routine plays, mm-hmm. and being there in the right spots, the right areas. And I've done a good job to be able to just get them the ball and be able to let them do what they do, man. Because we got some special playmakers, so they've been a, they've been doing a really good job. What's it been like working with Aiden? Been good, man. He's a funny guy. He's a great guy. Uh, hell of a quarterback, man. He's got a bright future. It's been good, man. To see him, man. He's gonna be he's gonna be a hell of a quarterback. It's been fun. It was obviously a, a huge decision to move back to the West Coast to Oregon State. The last few weeks, did it make you feel good about the choice you've made and, and make you feel peace, yeah. you know, about this decision? No, it definitely does. Yeah, no, I think the peace is there, man. Just from. Um, when I ever put my name in the portal and able to have Coach Smith be able to let me be able to be here, be a beaver, uh, it's been a blessing. And for me, man, it's been an unbelievable opportunity. 
I want to be able to continue to keep taking the most of my opportunity here as a Beaver, as a quarterback, and be able to just be able to lead my guys, be able to be the best team I can be each and every day. That relationship with Coach Smith and, and Coach Lindgren, how, how has that developed over the last, you know, 10 months? Yeah, it's been good, man. It's been a... It's been a great journey. It's been an unbelievable ride. Those, those are two really good guys. Besides coaching, they're really good guys as just men as well. They're just two good guys, men, and then guys of God. And they're just good people. But the relationship has definitely grown. Gotten more comfortable with Coach Lingren, Coach Smith. Uh, you can just tell. I mean, there's, there's some hell of some football coaches right there. Coach Linger does an unbelievable job calling a great game plan, setting stuff up for the quarterback, setting plays up uh, throughout the game. So for me, man, it's been fun to work with him. Uh, he's done an unbelievable job, man. I just want to continue to keep getting better each and every game for him. Moving across the country, too, you knew you were going to be a little bit closer to your brother. Yeah. Uh, just what was uh, your reaction when you saw that he was Pac-12 freshman of the week? That was dope, man. I was at the game, so I got to watch him play, so that was fun. Be able to get to be there on the bye week, get to see him, get to see my pops. Uh, me and my girlfriend went out there, but I thought he played a good game. Uh, he was pretty surprised that he got it. He was like, man, I didn't really do too much. I was like, man, he played a good game. I thought he had two tackles for loss and a sack. So it was, it was cool, man, to be able to see him play and go out there, see him in a live game. When you come out for that third series, what are you, what are you doing on the sidelines? What are you, what's going through your mind at that point? Uh, for the most part, I'm usually charting. Uh, we have this whole system on the sideline with the quarterbacks. So I chart up the defense. So whatever play we got, I write down the play. And there's like a sheet. Now I try to find the coverages. And then we come back to the sideline and talk about the drive and the different coverages that we've seen. Tell the quarterback that was out there, like, hey, we've seen this coverage, that coverage. And just trying to reconfirm, uh, like confirm what we saw and what the quarterback sees. So we're both, everyone on the quarterbacks are on the same page with Coach Boyer. Is that in any way? Helped, helped you at all these last few yeah, games? No, definitely. Sometimes you look out there, I mean, for the, when you're on the field, you, you're looking at the coverage and stuff, but you kind of see the, get to see the whole picture. As a person from the sideline, they don't got to worry about the checks and different stuff while they're out because they're on the sideline. So they get to see the whole picture, see how everything plays out from the sideline. So it's also good on the sideline. I get to see like, the whole picture and kind of get a different glimpse of the defense from the sideline. So it's pretty cool. It's good. How would you uh, just say how much you've grown since uh, your first game as a Beaver? until now in the bye week where you're yeah. practically halfway through? Uh, for the biggest thing, I feel like I feel comfortable in the offense. Uh, I feel like a lot of things are clicking. Uh, things are heading in the right direction. Uh, I feel like uh, my game has gotten elevated, but I just want to continue to keep getting better each and every week. There's a lot of stuff I can do better, a lot of stuff from schematically to from the little stuff on the field to the film work. There's a lot of stuff I continue to keep getting better at. So the biggest thing for me, man, is I want to continue to keep getting better, uh, not be satisfied, and just continue to strive to be the best I can be. I like both these young men. Yeah. Um, smart, uh, great attitudes, amiable, all yes. of that. <clears throat> yes. And DJ is, as we had hoped, just kind of week to week to week, it looks to me like he gets better and grows yeah. now. I kind of like this formula, too, of bringing in uh, Aiden for a series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And two different series, he scored a touchdown. So. Well, and the promise, too, of delivering on the promise. Mm-hmm. Now, it, was it was it Dennis Erickson who was sued by some Miami's? Anybody remember that story? Uh, uh, Dennis or somebody said. I mean, I think it was under Dennis's watch at Arizona, and the family sued or some Miami coach. I might have been uh, Dennis way back. You're going to be the starting quarterback, you oh, know. Okay. And then somebody else beat him out, and the family wanted to try suing him for that. Why didn't they just enter the transfer portal? <laughs> hey, anyway, thanks uh, to all of you for joining us today. We'll be back tomorrow on the Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio.